This is NEPM's Jazz Beat. I'm Tom Meany with a podcast edition of my jazz blog, which you can find at NEPM.org. I'm speaking today with Billy Boy Arnold, a legendary Chicago blues man who has recently uh, released his autobiography called The Blues Dream of Billy Boy Arnold. Billy Boy, I would like to just say congratulations on what I find to be one of the best reads that I have found in, in the blues in a long time. And as I say to everybody, your voice just comes through on every page of this book. It's a very strong story that you have to tell, and, um, and I found it uh, very readable and interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So congratulations, and thank you for the effort that you and Kim Field uh, expended in, in getting your story out. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I'm you, glad it came off. Okay, yeah. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You grew up in a big family. Uh, you're one of 16 children. There were aunts and uncles and others uh, around. Um, uh, you were related to uh, someone who owned, was it the Club Georgia? I'm just wondering where it was that you heard blues and, and what attracted you to it, and how young were you when you really felt... Uh, that soulful connection with blues? Well, I started hearing blues when I was about four or five years old. Uh, my aunts and all the adults on my mother's side of the family, they played blues records. Mm-hmm. And I heard the blues, and I liked the blues. I liked the sound of the music guitar and the singing, and, you know, it's just something that I really, I really appreciated, you know. Sure. Anything with a boogie beat to it, you know, like Pine Top's Boogie Woogie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, then uh, Tommy Dorsey made a version of that, and he called it Tommy Dorsey's Boogie Woogie. Mm-hmm. And when I'd hear that on the sound truck, I'd just uh, flip out, you know. I just had to run. The sound truck went about five miles an hour, and I would follow as long as I could, two or three blocks, just to hear that music, you know. Right. So it's just... One of those things, you know. Well, John Lee Sonny Boy Williamson was a very significant figure in your life and a major name in blues. Do you remember the first time you heard him? Yes, I was about five years old in 1941, five or six years old. And as I said, they played all the current RCA Victor Bluebird mm-hmm. uh, blues records, and uh, that record came out in 1941. Now, I didn't know... He played a harmonica. I knew he had an unusual voice from the other singers. He, you could distinguish him between other singers. You know, he had a special way of singing. And uh, I liked the song he used to sing, you know. Sure. And so, and then I didn't hear Sonny Boy anymore until 1946. Uh, 40, hmm. And uh, my grandfather had a, a restaurant in the, and a bar in Toledo, Ohio. And he would send my mother the records from the ju- his jukebox, you know, bright box of records. Every time he'd come to Chicago, he'd bring my mother a stack of records. Nice. And I and I played one record, and my mother said, that's the guy that sang Maddie May, which was Sonny Boy Williamson. And at that time, I received Victor on the record. If you picked up one of the records, uh, it said, uh, uh, blues, Sonny Boy Williamson, blues singing with harmonica, John Davis piano, mm-hmm. Big Bill Bruns the guitar, uh, Willie Dixon bass, you know. It told you each instrument that the people were playing on the record. Right. And so I played this record, Jim and Old Blues, and I, he played a real exciting harmonica part. And I just thought, I said, well, I wonder how a guy make a harmonica sound like that. <laughs> and I went and bought a plastic harmonica and started, you know, the 
presidente habla, ¿vale? Uh -huh. Now that GM Running right by my door Taking my baby up the country, Lord And won't bring her back no more I'm sitting here thinking Just sad and lonely I want my baby back to me Now I know my baby Is going to jump and shout When the gym and old roll up, oh Lord And I come walking out I'm sitting here thinking Just sad and lonely, I want my baby back to me. I'm just sitting here thinking, Seem like I ain't got a friend Lord, the way my baby treat me, though That's a doggone sin I'm telling you one day I just sat and lonely I want my baby back to me terms, isn't he playing first position on GM&O Blues? Yeah, he's playing first position. Yeah, it's so beautiful, yeah. those high notes. Yeah, and, high, high register. And, I, you know, I love the story that you tell uh, in The Blues Dream of Billy Boy Arnold about playing Sonny Boy's Cold Chills for your friend over the phone. Oh, that was my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> my cousin, my eight-year-old cousin, eight or nine-year-old, I was 12, <laughs> and he's about four years younger than me. Mm -hmm. And I was looking for audience, and he, <laughs> he was a good audience. And I called him, I was like, Herbie, listen to this. And he, I played, and I, I, he wasn't really into blues because he's so young, you know. Uh, uh, but he was a good listener, <laughs> and he would listen to everything I played, you know. Yeah, that was my cousin, yeah. Right. I love that. I've done that myself, you know, with my, you know, the latest record or something I was excited about. and. Yeah. Hey, listen to this, you know, and put up the phone. But um, So you eventually met John Lee Williamson, and I know you've told the story many times and related, of course, in the Blues Dream, but could you tell us again how that happened and what it was like to knock on the door of your hero? 
Well, I was playing Sunny Boy's record. My father didn't like blues. Mm. My mother liked blues, but my father didn't. What did he I like? I was playing the record. What did, what did your dad like? Uh, he saw, I guess, like uh, jazz or something like that. He wasn't really a musical person, but mm-hmm. he didn't like blues. Mm-hmm. And at that time, a lot of black people thought it was hip to put the blues down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, if you played blues, they, they thought it ridiculed, you know. So anyway, I uh, I was playing this record, and my father was talking to him. My mother, I, I overheard him, he said, that guy came in Club Georgia the other day. And everybody started hollering, hey, sonny boy, hey, sonny boy, and throwing money to him. And he started playing mm-hmm. his records on the jukeboxes. And so uh, he started playing the harmonica, you know. And so I, I, I said, well, this guy is, I thought most uh, musicians are like movie stars, you know, and another on another planet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know they was close by, you know. Right. So when I heard that, I, I got excited. And I said, and I said, oh, he's in, he lives in Chicago, you know. And then my father's cousin owned Club Georgia, and he hired Sonny Boy and his trio to play there on on the weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Mm-hmm. Sonny Boy played there maybe a year or so before he got killed, consistently on, on weekends, you know. And that's how I knew he lived in Chicago. Sure. But then my father's two younger brothers had a butcher shop on 31st Street. 31st and Giles, mm-hmm. and I used to work down there on Saturdays, you know, helping around the shop, you know, and uh, I saw a guy pass with a guitar, and just as I approached the guy, somebody hollered, hey, Bill, and his name was Lazy Bill Lucas, but I didn't know who he was. I just, if I see a guy with a guitar, I'd give him the third degree, you know. <laughs> so first thing I said, Did, do you know Sonny Boy? He said, oh, yeah, I know Sonny Boy. He said, Sonny Boy's playing out in the uh, South Chicago tonight, and he says, Sonny Boy lives at 3226 Giles, and I ran back into the butcher shop and wrote that down. I'm on 31st and Giles, that's where the butcher shop was. Mm-hmm. And uh, I wrote that address down, and I, I got my cousin and another kid named Pat Shea Jones, my cousin Archie, he was about three months older than I was. We were all 12-year-old kids. Mm-hmm. I got them to go by Sonny Boy's house with me one Saturday. We were going to the movie theater. I said, come on, go by Sonny Boy's house with me. And we was out on 94th Street, 94th Street South, you know. Mm-hmm. And so they said, well, no, well, we go to the movies, see the movie first, then we go by Sonny Boy's. So we went to the movie and got out about 2 o'clock that afternoon. And we took the elevator train down to 33rd Street and walked over to Giles and rung the doorbell. And this well-dressed, real dark-skinned man came to the door with a lot of hair on his head. He said, can I help you? I said, we want to see Sonny Boy. He said, this is Sonny Boy. I said, we want to, I want to hear you play your harmonica. He said, come on up. He lived on the second floor. He said, come on up. I'm proud to have you all. Oh. And he had guests, uh, uh, pianist Johnny Jones was at his house oh, wow. and his girlfriend. And so uh, he said, they came to see Sonny Boy. And he, I said, Sonny Boy, how do you make the harmonica say, wow, wow, wow? He said, you have to choke it. <laughs> now, today they say bend it. Mm-hmm. The guys today say bending the notes. But back then, and at that time, the black guys called it choking it to get that wow, wow, you know, mm-hmm. type of figure, you know. Sure. And that's how it was. I met with him on two occasions before he was murdered. Mm-hmm. Did it break your heart to learn that he had been killed? Oh, yeah, it was devastating. Me and my cousin went by that evening, and we rung the doorbell, and the landlady came to the door, and she said, uh, what are you looking for? I said, we're looking for Sonny Boy. She said, oh, haven't you heard? She said, he got killed. Mm-hmm. 
said his wife took his body back to Jackson, Tennessee mm-hmm. for burial. And I said, wow, you know, I was devastated because I wanted to know more about him, you know, and, and learn to play the harmonica. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the way it went down, you know. Did you ever have a chance to play anything for him? No, because he only gave me one of the two lessons, mm-hmm. and I had to learn how to choke it and play the blues on it yet, you know. <laughs> And he, before he was killed, but he told his friends, he said, he's going to be better than me. He's going to be better than me. <laughs> yeah. And he was only 34 years old. You know, right, right. When he got killed. Mentioning that the butcher shop, and you said 31st and Giles, I, you brought me right back to a record, I think, by Willie Nix, where I think he shouts out that address in, in a record. Yeah. Does that ring yeah, a bell with says, you? Yeah, he says, I was standing on the corner of 31st and Giles, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, that's where the butcher shop was on 31st and Giles. And Sonny Boy lived at 3226 Giles. Okay. But Willie Nix made that record way after Sonny Boy uh, oh, yeah. uh, got killed. But we'll, we'll see, a lot of the people would come to Chicago. They would stay in certain areas where other musicians, you know, had friends or relatives, you know. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, that's why that 31st and Giles is where it came in. And that's where the Plantation Club was, oh, yeah. right next door to my uncle's butcher shop, two doors east of, the, of my uncle's butcher shop, was a club called Plantation. Mm-hmm. And the night that Sonny Boy got killed, he was playing at the Plantation. Billy Boy, your book makes frequent reference to Little Walter. Mm-hmm. Uh, you almost tell Little Walter's sort of story over the course of your own. And I'd like to ask you if you could just, you know, reminisce a bit about Little Walter, um, when you first heard him and what it was like to to hear him, to see him, to get to know him, and to deal with his massive influence and brilliance. Yeah, well, after Sonny Boy died in 1948, <clears throat> Little Walter was a young guy that was around. He was about the best harmonica player around, but I didn't know it, you know. You know, I didn't know him, you know. Mm-hmm. Walter's only about six years older than I was. I was born in 35. Walter was born in 1930, uh, mm-hmm. something like that. And uh, Walter was playing around. He was playing with Muddy Waters. Then he started making records with <coughs> Muddy. And I, I think it was around 51 or 52. And he had that super great harmonica sound. And he brought the amplified harmonica on records. You know, he's the first guy that used Amplified harmonica on records, and he was uh, he became the new king of the blues, the harmonica player. Well, he was a good friend of Sonny Boy. You know they associated with each other. You know, Mm -hmm. and uh, Walter was the best in in the city, and the best, still the best of all. Nobody ever topped Walter. Walter was the was a genius uh, playing the harmonica. Mm -hmm. Sure. Do you remember, say, what it was like when you first heard his record, Juke?
Oh, yeah. Well, by that time, see, uh, he had been recording for Muddy on Muddy's records for about two two years. Yep. And uh, uh, he was, you know, Leonard Chess. Leonard, Leonard Chess was the type of guy, if he had some talent he, and he was a part of Muddy's band or something, he'd give you an opportunity to make a record of your own. And so that was their theme song. Juke was their theme song, you know. Sure. And so Leonard uh, cut those two sides on La Walter, which was a smash hit. Doubles, both sides was a smash hit. And La Walter uh, skyrocketed to success. He had to leave Muddy because his record was so strong and so powerful that you couldn't hold him down after that. Mm-hmm. Were you eager to make the uh, the transition, uh, as it were? I, I realize you were still a young man at the time, but... Were you playing like John Lee and then and then with little Walter and amplification? Was it a big leap for you to go from sort of playing out of your hand to blowing on a mic? Uh, no, it was it was nothing to it because John Lee played amplified harmonica in the club. Right. Yeah. But not on record. At that time Lester Melrose was running the RSA Victor Blues yep. sessions and uh everything was acoustic at that time. Amplified harmonica didn't come in until around about 1950 or 51 when Lou Walter was playing with Buddy Waters and, and they recorded Juke. And that's when the Amplified Harmonica came in. And everybody switched to Amplified Harmonica. Right. So, what do you remember about getting, you know, your first harp mic and amplifier? Oh, well, when I started playing with Bo Diddley, uh, I. We went over on Maxwell Street. They had a lot of music stores over there. And I bought a, a amplifier, and I had bought a sort of kind of Mike Lewalt and Sunny Boy they used. It's sort of like a bullet. Mm-hmm. And I bought that, you know. And it started playing in the clubs because everybody started using amplifier and harmonica, you know, with amplified guitars, you know. Sure. sure. Yeah. You made a record of your own before... Bo Diddley, and you were only about, what, 17 when you... I was 17, yeah. Yeah, when you made that record for the, what was it, the label called, Cool? Uh, cool, cool? Cool Records, yeah. And um, how did that come about? Well, Blind John Davis did a lot of recording with Sonny Boy on the piano. Mm-hmm. And I became acquainted with him when I was 15 years old, 14 or 15. And he had some friends who uh, was, was starting up a small independent record company. And they were looking for talent. And he told them, say, I know a boy that plays harmonica. He's good, blah, blah, blah. And they say, well, bring him over, you know. So I went over, and you had to write your own material. I started writing my own songs when I was about 14, 15. And uh, I had these two songs that I wanted to record. And he, they brought me over, and they heard me, and they wanted to record me. And they recorded two sides on me and two sides on a guy named Herbert Beard, who was a singer. Mm-hmm. My, my record was Hello Stranger, and the flip side was I Ain't Got No Money. Hello Stranger Baby, can you have any company? Hello Stranger Baby, can you have any company? Now I just want to sit down and talk with you And tell you some of the sweet things I've learned about you
Now the boys is bragging about you, baby. You know I'm bragging about you, too. The boys is bragging about you, baby. You know I'm bragging about you, too. Now, because you are a sweet little woman, and you knows just how to do Every time I see her walking down the street, you know she always smiling. Every time I see her walking down the street, you know she always smiling. Now I just wanna hold you in my arms. Call you my baby. And we've recorded that at RSC Victor Studios, the same studios that Lester Melrose recorded, Tampa Red, Big Bill, Sunny Boy, mm. Memphis Benny, all those people in Chicago at the same studio, the same engineer mm-hmm. did that record on for me. Now when you were, when you were doing this, Billy Boy, when you were in that in that studio and all, were you like the coolest cat on the corner or were you kind of an awestruck kid, like walking in the footsteps of, of your heroes? Well, I guess you would say awestruck because uh, most of the young kids, that my contemporaries, they didn't like blues. They weren't into blues, you know. Mm. So I was in a different uh, category <laughs> that way, you know. <laughs> Did you take a rasin from your friends? Well, yeah, most of them, you know, they liked uh, jazz music, like Sonny Stitt, Sarah Vaughn, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. the Oreos, oh, yeah. uh, people like that, that King Cole, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I was listening to blues music, <laughs> and I liked blues music. They laughed at me, you know. Mm-hmm. They couldn't understand why I like blues, you know. So that's the way it went down, you know. Right, right. So you, got, uh, you made that record, Hello, Stranger, and I ain't got no money. And then uh, another year or two go by, and you have connected with Ellis McDaniel, better known as Bo Diddley, and yes. and you played a very important role in his sort of evolution right there in, in his first records with the Chess label. Tell us a little bit about Bo Diddley and, and what you did with him. Well, his name, we didn't have a song called Bo Diddley, and we didn't have an artist. His name was Ellis McDaniels and the Hipsters. Mm-hmm. I met them, they was playing on up and down the you know, street corners. And uh, now they were sitting in a restaurant, and I went in and I saw the two guys with a guitar, and they had a washtub, 
with a stick on it and a string wow. that they use for bass. <laughs> so I told them, I said, well, I play harmonica. And they said, well, we're going up to the Midway Theater and play on the amateur show. To say, come in and go down there with us. They didn't invite me to play with them. Mm-hmm. They invited me to, you know, listen to the show. So I heard them at the show, and he gave me his phone number, his address. He said, come by my house on Saturday morning, and we play on the street corners, you know. I said, I'll let you play with us, you know. I said, okay, you know, blah, blah, blah. And that's how that happened. So I went down there, and I met, met up with him, and I played on the street corners. And we were playing on 51st and Cottage Grove Avenue. Mm-hmm. And uh, the guy that Roosevelt Jackson that played the Washtub was Bo Diddley's childhood friend who, when he first came to Chicago at five years old, he met up with Roosevelt and his family, and they became very good friends. They, they, was both, they were 23, and I was 15, and Jody Williams was 15. So we're... They was playing, we were playing on 51st, and so Roosevelt said to Ellis, he said, hey, Ellis, that goes Bo Diddley. And that was the funniest word I ever heard in my life. I just cracked up. I just kept, I couldn't stop laughing. And it was a little short guy <laughs> who was a comedian at the Indiana Theater <laughs> where they played, they had moving pictures all through the day, you know, like the regular movie theater. And on Saturday night, they had what they called the Midnight Ramble. And they cleared the theater out. You had to buy another ticket for the Midnight Ramble. And they had Butter Beans and Susie, and this guy, Bo Diddley, and all kind of singers and dancers and, you know, comedians. And they featured a major blues singer. Most of the time I see a life-size picture of Big Bill Brunsey. Mm. He was, the, you know, the star sure. of the night. And then sometime I'd come by there and they'd have a, a life-size picture with her guitar of Memphis Minnie. Mm. So that's how the first time I ever heard the word Bo Diddley, <laughs> when it, Roosevelt Jackson said to Ellis McDaniels, hey, Ellis, there go Bo Diddley. <laughs> and I just laughed and laughed. Now, this is 1953. Mm-hmm. Oh, was it 53? Oh, 51. No, this is 1951. And so three years later, when we were at Chess Studios, you know, I played on the street corners, whatever, you know, for mm-hmm. a while. Uh, we were at Chess Studios. We had just had a uh, a band called Alice McDaniels and the Hipsters. So I, I had took him to three records companies before he hooked up with Leonard Chess. Because mm. I had made this record for this company, and they they, they only last about a year because... They had some squabbling about who was running it, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And so I had been to United Records, States Records. Mm-hmm. United States was one one company. And then they had VG Records. And they had Leonard Chess. They had Chess Records. So I had been to those companies. So I tried, I told Ellis, which was Bo Billy's real name, I said, let's try to make some records. And he was, you know, he was casual. He said, oh, okay, well, you know. He just liked to play, play his guitar, play on the street, you know, blah, blah, blah. Play at the Indiana Theater. <laughs> and sometimes he would win the talent show night, you know. So we were in the studio, uh, and he was playing his guitar with the tremolo on it. And it had that organ effect sound, you know. <laughs> and he said, uh, Papa gonna buy a baby diamond ring like that. And I said, why don't you say, 
Bo Diddley going to buy his baby diamond ring? <laughs> and Leonard Chester standing there, and he said, hey, wait a minute, hold on. What does that mean? He said, I don't want to put something on the record that's going to offend the black audience. <laughs> right. I say, no, it just means a little short, extremely bow-legged guy, about <laughs> four feet something. And his stage name was Bo Diddley. <laughs> and that's how the word Bo Diddley got into the picture. Until mm. so I was surprised when the record came out, it came out Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley. Now, if you listen to that record, see, I'm a type of person, I would not lie to make embellish myself to make me look like a hero or something. I wrote about five of those verses for that song. Because wow. we didn't have a song called that, you know. He just said, Papa going to buy, he, he he came up with Papa going to buy his baby diamond ring and Papa caught a bear cat, make his pretty baby on the Sunday head. But the rest of those verses I made up. Mm. But I was only, you know, at that time I was about 17 and I was too young to say, hey, I'm, you know, writing this song, you know. Right. I didn't think no more about it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was surprised when the record came out. It said, Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley. <laughs> Even, I don't think Ellis knew what Leonard was going to call it. But he, because he, he, in every verse, he would say, Bo Diddley going to buy his baby diamond ring. Bo Diddley called a bad cat, blah, blah, blah. Yep. And every time, when we were in the studio, Leonard Chess would stand in front of him. And he would sing, sing a verse, and Leonard Chess would point to him to play the guitar solo. And that's how, all through the record, that's how the record went. So Leonard was a real Leonard was kind of a hands-on producer. Yeah, he was a hand, that's right. He was a hands-on producer, and he got the best out of him. Mm. He didn't just let those other record companies. If if he had recorded for United Records or VJ, he never would have been Bo Diddley, mm. and that never would have happened. Because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have never said, "Why don't you say Bo Diddley gonna buy his baby diamond ring?" The reason why I wouldn't, because those guys would just be sitting back. All they wanted to do was make a few bucks for themselves. And you know, right, distribute a record around three or four states, and you mm-hmm. know, make some money for themselves. They wasn't trying to build no artists. Uh, Leonard was a hands-on. Oh, uh, he, he was something else. Mm-hmm. He, 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 those most of those rec, those hits that came out, he had his hands all in that. Mm-hmm. And he would tell the guys what to do, how to do it. He had ideas, you know. Sure. And so, to our surprise. The record came out, Bo Diddley, by Bo Diddley, and the rest is history. <laughs> now, was it the flip side of that record that was I'm a Man? I'm a Man. That, that, he wrote that. And you play harmonica on that. I played harmonica. And you play that beautiful riff, that classic riff. <laughs> now, when I was a little boy, at the age of five, Something in my pocket Keep a lot of folks alive Now I'm a man Made 21 You know, baby We can have a lot of fun I'm a man I spell M
Going back down the Kansas doom. Bring back the second cousin, little John the Conqueror. My man, spell him A N Main. I was much of a harmonica player at that time, and I, I appreciate you saying that, but, you know, I was just struggling and trying, trying mm-hmm. to be like little Walter, you know, mm-hmm. but, and he wrote all other songs, Ellis was a, boy, Bo Dilly, boy, he, he was a good songwriter, he just makes mm-hmm. songs up, you know, mm-hmm. easy, and uh, he, he wrote all the rest of the stuff on there. Right. Did you guys have a feeling for I'm a man as being a really bold statement being made by young black men on a record in 1955? Well, he had that song. That was his song. Mm-hmm. And I heard him say, I'm a man. I spell M. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't, uh, at that time, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't put it together that you know that he was singing sort of like making a statement. Right. That he's a black man, I'm a man, blah blah. I didn't I didn't put it together that that's that's what he meant, I I'm sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I spell M A M and Muddy Waters heard that and he liked that song too. And that's why he made Banished Boy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. Same song, you know. Right. right. Yeah. Muddy's is great too. Um, oh yeah. Now you also made a single of your own for for Leonard Chess, right? Um, I'm sweet on you, baby. Oh yeah, I'm sweet on you, baby. Yeah, now, that was my song. Yeah. Now he, the other side of that, I made two songs. The other song was, was Bo Diddley's song. He gave me that song because I only had one song at the time, and it was called uh, I think You Gotta Love Me, Baby. You Gotta Treat Me Right. Stay on with me, both day and night. You gotta love me, baby. Yeah. That's yeah, the one. I, I'm sweet on you, baby, yeah. yeah. But see, Leonard wasn't interested in me as an artist. He just he just uh, recorded that because I kept saying, well, hey, I'd like to make a record, too. He said, okay, go ahead, let him in. Go ahead, let me see what you got, you know. <laughs> One yeah. of them things, because I wasn't ready, you know. <laughs> you know, I was struck by, um, you know, John Lee Williamson, Sonny Boy Williamson, often on his Bluebird RCA Victor sides would call out the name of, of Bill Brunzi or John Davis, especially when they were, you know, it was time for them to play a break. And, and there you were, you know, with Sweet On Your Baby calling out Otis Spann's name. Yeah, well, that's, that's where I got that idea. Uh. I said, well, all right, Otis Spann. And when I said that, Leonard frowned. Really? Seen him, but he frowned because he said he didn't like people to mention people's names on the record. Hmm. 
But Stan, Stan was my favorite piano player at the time, you know. Sure. And I said, well, all right, old Stan. <laughs> She don't even love me, but I'm sweet on you, baby. Yes, I'm sweet on you, baby. I'm sweet on you, baby. You don't care nothing about me. I buy you a cat like in a diamond ring. You keep on loving, I buy almost anything, but I'm sweet on you, baby. Yes, I'm sweet on you, baby. I'm sweet on you, baby. You just get nothing about me. Muddy says, all right, little Walter, on what is it, Louisiana Blues, uh, yeah. a few years before that. But Now, speaking about a span, you speak very strongly about Span as your favorite pianist, and you say that, that you think Leonard Chess purposely didn't record him so that he would stay kind of under the cover of Muddy Waters' band. Well, see, this is where it went down. Uh, Walter became a star. He couldn't hold him down, and so he, he had to let him go, you know, on his own. Because, you know, he was recording for Leonard, too. And so he didn't want to... Buddy had a good band, mm-hmm. and he didn't want to bust Buddy's band up by recording his uh, musician. You know what I mean? Yep. And and, and Buddy really needed Span because Span was the backbone of the band. Walter only... At that time, LaWalter would only make records with Buddy because Walter was doing his own thing and his own band and traveling. Sure. And so Leonard wanted the whole band there, 
you know, because span, uh, uh, money needed span. And listen to the piano just make love to me. Mm-hmm. That beautiful piano oh. intro. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So Span was very, and, and let me tell you something else. Mm-hmm. Muddy never let Span sing in the in the clubs. Really? Nope. Wow. Well, I I, I say I I never we see we were playing at Silvio's together at three bands, you know, mm-hmm. and Span played the piano, but uh, and Span at that time Span didn't even have a, a amplifier. And the only time you know how great Span was when you hear the records. But he wasn't featuring Span because mm-hmm. I guess he might have thought Span would, you know, get so much recognition and, and you know, and leave him, you know. And Leonard was trying to hold the band. You know, he didn't want to bust Muddy's bands up, you know, because he has, he has great musicians, you know. Mm-hmm. Do, do, you have a, do you have a feeling that, that Span could have had a substantial career on his own? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Span was a monster. He was kind of shy-like, mm-hmm. and he wasn't forceful, you know. See, like, I wasn't all that good as a kid, but I was forceful. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I was Some, trying. Yeah, you, know? you got you to do what you got to do, huh? <laughs> yeah. And Span was a, a dynamite musician, way over what I could do. Mm-hmm. And, and Span was a great singer. Oh, Span oh. could really sing. Sure. Oh, you heard all this stuff he did after he left Money? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He could have did that then. Yeah. But he's got sort of laid back and he get high and, you know, yep. and, he, and he was sort of, didn't, you know, was sort of, a lot of people were scared to venture out on their own, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it wasn't going about to, uh, he, he, he did record Span called uh, It Must Have Been the Devil. Did you ever hear that? Yes. Yep. Okay. He recorded that on Span when Span was with Muddy. Right, but he didn't push it, and he didn't try to make an artist out of Span, which mm-hmm. he could have. Right. But he knew Muddy needed Span. Mm-hmm. Span was Muddy's right hand, right arm, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. the soul of his band, you know.
Span made one more session for chess with Robert Lockwood and Walter Horton and Fred Below and um, Willie Dixon, I guess. Uh, I'm in love with you, baby, and I'm leaving you. They didn't release it till many years later, but are you familiar with that single? No, I'm not familiar with it. Oh, that. it is tremendous. It is tremendous. It's it's incredible that that Leonard Chess held that back from the market. I, I, I to me, it's one of the best records I've ever heard from that period. Um, and it, it's 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 great for Span and for Lockwood and uh, and Walter Horton too. They're all brilliant on it. And what was the name of it again? It's um, the A side is called "I'm in Love with You, Baby," mm-hmm. and a B side was "I'm Leaving You." Back to crying. You think I'm leaving, baby, but I'm loving all the time. Cause I'm in love with you, baby. 